Welcome to the On the Blue Couch podcast. I'm Kathleen, and this is the podcast that provides information, reflections, and interviews on anything and everything related to therapy. This is episode 16, Intervention, a conversation with Arthur Westinghouse. Welcome to this 16th episode. Uh, Today I'm going to share with you a previously recorded interview with Arthur Westinghouse. He's founder of Honest Interventions. Uh, He is a certified alcohol and drug counselor, certified intervention professional. Uh, He actually grew up on the south side of Chicago and is currently residing in Nevada. So I want to thank Arthur for sharing his experience and knowledge in working with and supporting families um, on a road to recovery. Um, You know, there are different paths and avenues that people take um, in their beginnings or continued steps in um, a path to recovery, that road to recovery. And so um, this is one place um, to start. And it's a resource. So to know that there's a whole range of resources out there, and I just wanted to start here and share uh, one of many options um, for supporting and helping and providing education um, for someone who needs help with uh, substance abuse or addiction. And so here is the interview. Enjoy. Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about interventions, and I want to thank, thank Arthur Westinghouse for being here. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Wouldn't miss it. Um, So let's just start off by talking about uh, where exactly your base is for doing interventions and tell us a little bit about your business. Okay, Mm -hmm. sure. I'm uh, uh, based in Henderson, Nevada, which is basically Las Vegas, but uh, right next to Las Vegas. And uh, the name of my company is Honest Interventions. Um, we uh, we provide education on addiction, enabling, and that sort of thing. And uh, you know, we're really uh, really a stand for empowering families to uh, to be able to help their loved ones, uh, you know, find help and, and the the appropriate help. Uh, you know, uh, we specialize in you know people with uh, alcohol and drug problems, and you know, that sort of thing. Uh, and uh, um, we've been in business for the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a certified intervention professional and certified alcohol and drug counselor. And um, yeah. yeah, so what do those, so other people know what those certifications, um, why they're important for people who are um, providing some sort of drug addiction or substance abuse intervention or service, mm-hmm. uh, what that means? Well, it, it creates a, a consistency in, in the, you know, in the industry, and uh, you know, basically uh, protect, you know, protects the clients from the, you know, uh, certain people uh, in the profession that uh, might not be certified, that might not have, uh, you know, be bound to a certain code of ethics and, and that sort of thing, and uh, yeah, it's it's really uh, it's really so that the you know to be sure that the clients getting. Uh, uh, the proper uh, 
proper service that uh, that they're supposed to get. Mm-hmm. Um, so, can you just start by talking about how people actually find you, and what the process is for working with families who have somebody who has a drug problem? Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, you know, a lot of it's uh, more word of mouth. Uh, referral, um, you know, from uh, other families that uh, that we've worked with, or uh, treatment centers, or call centers. Um, you know, I, I like to uh, to get out into the the community and reach out to uh, different uh, community organizations and schedule it, uh, small, you know, educational workshops, and uh, you know, just let people know that we're here. And the the way the the uh, process uh really works it's 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 centered in the education the education is the power the education is the empowerment for the family mm-hmm. and um it's usually uh you know generally a, uh the the initial intervention uh the beginning is a, a two-day process where uh you know we can spend anywhere from uh six to, to eight hours depending on the situation depending on the the family's uh, time constraints on the first day, educating the family on addiction and enabling. And uh, the, the second day is the actual uh, intervention where we, um, you know, approach the person. We've already decided on day one, you know, the, the best way to approach, uh, you know, the, this unique situation because every family situation is, is, is unique. Um, and finding out the best way to, to approach the person and then we actually uh, put that in place uh, following day and it really uh you know most of the time the person doesn't know that the intervention is actually going to happen but sometimes they are invited and we do an, an invitational model but once once they're actually there in front of us the the intervention is um you know it has an invitational nature we're inviting them to accept help uh no point are we telling them they have to do anything that they you know don't want to do but we are inviting them mm-hmm. you know so six to eight hours of providing education, uh, what kinds of things do you share with families that you kind of see maybe more across the board um, or maybe more in general when you're working with different families that you're really needing to tell them about? Well, uh, a lot of it, uh, the education is actually, you know, kind of start off um, giving an, an introduction of me and who I am and, and a little bit of my professional and personal experience um, which is pretty extensive, uh, you know, um, and then, uh, you know, we, uh, then talk about the actual person that we're preparing to approach and get all the details on the table, uh, about them, you know, uh, all the sort of ins ins and outs and, and important facts about what we're, what we're faced with. And, um, uh, from there, uh, you know, I, I start actually, um, you know, developing a, a team within the within the family, and uh, and from there, you know, it goes into a, you know education focused on addiction. Um, you know the the nature of addiction. Uh, you know, and uh, and the progression rate of addiction, and uh, you know, really uh, what 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 the person who who is needing help, what they're looking forward to if they continue on the way that they're going and and ultimately uh you know to help the family identify with what their role is in in the entire uh situation 
and what changes, what positive changes that they can make to help uh, increase the probability of their loved one uh, getting help. Mm -hmm. So what are some different things that you see in when we talk about enabling? Like how do and how have you seen families enable somebody who is using? Um, what are the ways that it shows up? Um, you know, in a lot of cases, you know, uh, mom and dad are paying rent, they're paying the car insurance, they're paying for the cell phone, they've bought the car, they're paying for them to go to school, uh, you know, the list kind of goes on and on. And then, and then sometimes, um, you know, there are uh, highly, highly functioning, um, you know, alcoholics or, or uh, people with addiction issues that, uh, you know, they're, they're highly functioning and they, um, a lot of their enabling doesn't come on a financial end, it'll come more on an emotional end. You know, as long as everybody in the family stays exactly where I want you to be, when I want you to be there, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and then and then the family just kind of follows suit with that, and and they're always there to answer the phone, no matter how drunk they are, no matter how high they are, no matter what mess they've gotten themselves into, they're there to to pick up the phone and, and comfort them in that. And what they're actually comforting them in is is their their bottom. The person's already at a bottom, and the family's comforting them through the bottom. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, there's no willingness because it's too comfortable. Mm -hmm. You know. And so, what do you think are some of the challenges for people coming out of that enabling role? Like, what do you think keeps people stuck in it, even after maybe you provide them with some education? Uh, actually a lot of, a lot of times, uh, and I've found it, it you know, with, uh, you know, certain, uh, close friends of mine, um, where their, uh, their families enabled them for years and years and years on, on a personal level. I've, I've seen it even before I started working, uh, in this field. Um, the family members, a lot of times are almost addicted to the enabling behavior. They can't stop. They find comfort in the enabling. Mm -hmm. You know, and, 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 and it's, it, there's a, you know, the, the whole, you know, being trapped between uh, fear and hope. They're scared if they make, you know, if they make a change of what will actually happen, you know, um, and they have the hope that someday the person's just going to wake up. And the reality is they don't, they don't ever just wake up one day. Mm -hmm. Something always happens to wake them up, whether it's a, you know, a nice, uh, gentle, uh, approached, invitational inter intervention that, you know, I would guide a family through or, you know, the police uh, showing up or, you know, somebody, uh, you know, being hurt severely or, or, you know, something irreversible happening. There's always some kind of intervention that, that happens. Mm -hmm. Okay, so once the education piece, you spent, you know, hours with the family, um, what does it look like? at that next stage of really, I guess, confronting, as you say, gently inviting um, the person who you're doing the intervention with? Well, you know, by, hopefully, you know, by the end of the education, the family's found a, a certain level of willingness on, on their end to, to make some positive changes and set some healthy boundaries in their life. And, um, uh, and then, uh, you know, we usually, usually re it, it's pretty normal that we would regroup the following morning uh, just to kind of recap everything that we did the day before. And, um, you know, we're usually set scheduled to, uh, to do the intervention uh, an hour after we regroup uh, in the morning. But mm -hmm. 
doesn't always go that way. Sometimes we're waiting all day for them to show up because uh-huh. <laughs> they, they, they tend to not want to, you know, be where we want them to be, even though they don't know the intervention's happening. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah. So how long does, can an, inter- an intervention last when you're actually with someone and sitting there? You know, a- average time, um, you know, an average time for an intervention is usually uh, about an hour, could go two hours, could go three hours, you know, depending on the person, depending on the family dynamic, depending on the drugs you they're using, um, depending on, uh, you know, their response to the intervention. Some people aren't, uh, don't have the greatest, uh, you know, healthiest response to what we're offering them. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes they'll actually leave and we have to wait for them to come back. Mm-hmm. They always come back. Mm-hmm. Always. I have yet to see somebody not come back. And what does that tell you, like mm. from your experience, the fact that they do come back? Because they know it's the right thing. Mm-hmm. And if the family can just stay still, we can allow them the space to realize that it's the right thing and allow them to own the decision and come back and tell us that they've decided to go. Mm-hmm. You know. And so once they've decided to go, mm-hmm. what does that look like? Well, once the person decides to, uh, you know, decides that they're going to accept the help the family's offering them and uh, go to the treatment center, um, uh, generally I'll, I'll uh, usually in most cases I'll travel with them uh, for continuity's sake and, and to help prepare them for uh, for what they're looking forward to, having the experience of, you know, being in a treatment center myself uh, years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I can help them uh, walk in on the right foot with the, you know, uh, you know, give them a little bit of perspective on the on the way, and and also, uh, uh, you know, create a, a reassurance with the family that the person's in good hands and that uh, that they're going to arrive safely, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to them traveling by themselves and everybody wondering if they ever got there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and with the initial, the beginnings of treatment, what are some of the things that you think people are fearful of, um, challenges they may face? Well, it's like, uh, it's like going to the, the first day of school. You've never been there. You know, you don't know what to expect. You don't know what the other people are going to be like. It's just that kind of natural, normal fear. It's a real fear that, you know, you don't know what you're, what you're looking forward to. And, um, you know, uh, hopefully uh, the center that the person's going to is going to make a good impression and greet them properly and treat them with dignity and respect and uh, provide a good uh, clinical assessment to figure out what their individual needs are and, and collaboratively uh, create a treatment plan with them that they'll, you know, uh, continually develop, you know, through treatment. And hopefully that treatment center that they're going to is um, uh, from day one. Uh, creating a relapse prevention plan with them from day one, not uh, waiting till uh, till the last minute to make some recommendations. Mm-hmm. So, for families that are looking for treatment centers, what do you think they should look for um, as they begin to think about a loved one going to to rehab? Uh, that's a good question. Um, it, it really the. the the appropriate center for, like I said, every situation is unique. Mm-hmm. So, 
um, different families with different situations, with different age brackets, different cultural backgrounds, you know, uh, what what the person's actually using, uh, are they high functioning, are they not functioning at all, mm-hmm. you know, those those all go into, you know, consideration. And, and insurance, you know, what what's insurance covering? Uh, different centers, uh, you know, accept different uh, in-network insurance and other centers accept the out-of-network and you know, there's different uh, out-of-pocket uh, d- d- deductible amounts, and you know, usually uh, by the time uh, you know a family's actually ready to do an intervention, uh, a lot of resources have been kind of drained. So, um, you know, that that's finances is definitely a consideration. And some some families, there's no insurance, uh, they have no money, and there's still a place. You know, there's always a place to go. There's you know, it might be not be the highest level of care, but there'll be a place uh, to get the person where they'll actually have a chance, you know, more along the lines of a recovery home or, or something like that. So mm-hmm. and then, uh, you know, there's also, uh, you know, you have dual diagnosis facilities where, you know, they specialize in, in treating, uh, you know, the, the mental health uh, issues along with the addiction issues. And, you know, that's usually, uh, it's... Uh, uh, high probability that that's uh, going to be present too, <laughs> mm-hmm. whether it's depression, anxiety, or, you know, even, even more severe. Mm-hmm. Are there any like factors or things that you've seen over the years that contribute to maybe a more successful post-discharge from a treatment center? Or, like, are there certain signs or factors that Absolutely. Um, you know, when I when I do an intervention, uh, you know, I, I stress to the family uh, right right from the beginning that we want to create a long term plan for you and your loved one together, mm-hmm. right? So I you know I usually uh, uh, you know recommend that families uh, you know find a support group for themselves, whether it be Al Anon or Celebrate Recovery or you know uh, some something like that. Um, and, uh, and, and also uh, that, uh, you know, they see a, possibly a family therapist. You know, mm-hmm. family therapist is always a good, uh, good thing. Like I said, some, some families can't afford all that, you know, but, uh, you know, I always, I always recommend that and try to connect them with the proper resources. And uh, so uh, talking about the long-term plan, if a family's you know, willing to follow through with a long-term plan and, and communicate. I'm, you know, from, from the time we do the intervention, I'm available. As long as the family's willing to follow through with a long-term plan, I'm available for guidance and support. You know, the problem is, is that most of the time, uh, you know, the families, they like the instant gratification. And, uh, you know, I'll talk about the long-term plan and I get a lot of head nods and, and yes, yes, yes. And then, uh, you know, the person gets to the treatment center and everybody says, thank God that's over. And they get on with life as usual. And before you know it, the person comes out of treatment. Uh, they're back into the house, uh, whereas the family usually agreed they were going to uh, a recovery home or something like that after treatment. And that would they would follow through without patient therapy. Unfortunately, most of the time that doesn't get put into place. And, uh, you know, and then the family calls up with problems and it's, you know, how, how do we, uh, how do we get this back on, back on track? There is, uh, 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 case management available, you know, different, uh, different companies offer case management, long-term case management. I definitely, uh, highly recommend that. And, uh, uh, 
yeah, that that's what contributes to long term success is, mm-hmm. you know, the family being willing to follow through with a long term plan. Mm-hmm. Um, I was curious about if you're seeing any trends um, in with substances and addictions. If there's been an increase in a certain area um, as you've been doing this work. Uh, the last, I think, the last four. Um, interventions that I've done in the last month uh, have been all opiate addiction um, you know and that's it's obvious obviously uh, an epidemic in this country with uh, opiates whether it be pills heroin you know especially heroin and, and people dying every day and uh, yeah it's uh, you know the, the the reality is is families don't have to wait until that happens they can you know there there are uh, there are avenues of help, whether it you know be intervention or therapy, uh, you know that uh, they can find a you know it's, it's a intervention is really harm reduction, you know mm-hmm. it's harm reduction. You you can decide to to take the next step and and um, you know address the address the problem, make some make some healthy changes and stop it from from happening. You don't have to wait till they die, mm-hmm. you know. But that, that is the trend. That is the epidemic in this country uh, predominantly. And, and I've noticed really um, with opiate addicts in particular, uh, when they get low on cash, when they can't afford the pills, when they can't afford the heroin, they go to the cheap homemade stuff. They go to the meth, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I find that uh, I've been finding that quite a bit lately, too. Well, they're using heroin and meth. Well, they're, the only reason they're using meth is because it's cheap. Mm-hmm. You know, it's cheap, but then they realize how high the high is, and it's like, you know, that, that high goes kind of above everything else, and the, and the low is pretty low. Mm-hmm. So is there anything else that you want to share that's involved in an intervention or that you'd want families to know who are uh, wanting to seek help for a loved one that would be important to know? Um um, you know, uh, I, I think, uh, just make a, make a phone call, you know, uh, just making that uh, initial phone call is, is, uh, you know, that's a great first step, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, when you're and, and the, the usual question is, what are you going to do that we haven't done already? We've already done everything, you know? That's that's usually the case. So you know, I'm usually not walking into a, a, a room full of happy people, uh-huh. you know. Um, so so making the phone call, gathering information, and uh, you know, determining uh, you know yourselves based on the information that you find. Uh, you know, speaking with uh, an interventionist such as myself, or a treatment referral source, or uh, or a treatment facility. You know make the calls and, and gather the information and then decide what you're willing to do. Mm-hmm. The reality is a, a lot of families actually make that call, but then they're not willing to take the next step and actually do the intervention if an intervention is required. Mm-hmm. Or they're scared to even ask the, the person if they're willing to accept help. They're, you know, it's just fear kind of runs through, runs through everything mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to this. So, um, you know, be be the difference. I always tell families that I work with that you know I congratulate them on, on being the difference. You know, because uh, the reality is, is most most families who call and ask for the help don't accept the help. Kind of like the you know the loved one who has the addiction who 
keeps asking for help, but then when you offer them help, it's not their version of help, so they keep telling you no thanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's that's like the a- only thing I did right in my recovery is I I, uh, I asked for help and then I accepted the help that was uh, was presented to me. That's that's one of the the greatest things in my life that I've I've actually done right that really changed the whole course of my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you find that, do you share your own experience when you go in for I these do. interventions? I do. And, and uh, what kind of makes me uniquely useful with these families is that I know what it's like to walk in a, I've been in recovery for 25 years from addiction and the effects of, you know, the, the, the bigger picture, the family dysfunction. So I'm, I, I've walked in the person who's addicted shoes but I've also walked in the family's shoes in that, you know, I have family members that uh, I've had to ha- set some healthy boundaries with who have issues with addiction that aren't willing to accept help. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've, I've found, um, I found uh, that to be very, very uh, beneficial. It, 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 it helps, uh, you know, helps the families to realize you're not just sharing something with them you read out of a book. This is real, real life experience. You know, I've, I'm actually walking in your shoes right now, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so I'll give you an example. I, 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 uh, I stepped away from um, a family member, uh, you know, and, and set some healthy boundaries years ago. And, and now that person actually has nine years, uh, nine years sober. I turned around and suddenly they had nine years sober. All I did was take one big step backwards and decided I wasn't going to emotionally comfort that person anymore. And two weeks ago, that person and I collaboratively uh, worked together to get another family member, uh, my little sister, I'll say it, uh, into a, uh, a treatment center. You know, she mm-hmm. was, she was in, in jail and, and we worked together to get her court mandated to treatment as opposed to three years in, in prison. And so she's now in an 18-month program, all women, uh, so she doesn't get distracted with the boys like she always does. And, uh, and she's got a chance. Mm-hmm. She's got a real chance. And her four kids have a chance, too. You know. Well, and that, that sharing your story offers such hope. And like you're, mm-hmm. you've walked, you're living it, you're living sobriety, yeah. all of that. Absolutely. Well, thanks for providing all this great information today. Um, where can people reach you if they want to find out more information about your company, Mm-hmm. Uh, you can uh, find us at Honest Interventions, plural, honestinterventions.com. Mm-hmm. And um, we're, uh, like I said, we're, our, our primary focus is education, you know, because uh, I, I really believe um, that uh, a, a big part of the problem is a lack of education. They don't teach a lot of this in school. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, uh, I'm always available, uh, you know, to, to give talks at, uh, you know, community uh, with community organizations and things like that. You know, it'd be like an hour, hour or so with uh, with questions and answers and, and stuff like that to kind of kind of help, uh, uh, you know, educate and empower, you mm-hmm. know, through uh, sharing, uh, sharing valuable information. OK, so. Well, thank you. Thanks, Kathleen. And take care. Episodes are available at onthebluecouch.com. You can also follow On the Blue Couch on Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time.